For those of you who were not here last week, we kicked off a series um, which was, uh, well, it was hugely important that uh, if you missed last week that you go back and you listen to it. Uh, This is a series that is um, one of those things that builds week to week on the previous week. And so if for whatever reason you were away last week, make sure to go out to our website and um, listen to it. Because otherwise some of the things that we're talking about today are going to be like way over your head. You're not going to understand what we're talking about or why we're talking about. Because last week we talked about giants, trolls, aliens, and your inner woman. Okay, so... (laughs) We just really need you to go out and listen to the message from last week, because otherwise you'll be like, what in the world are we talking about here? So, so I can do a really brief recap, um, but I can't give you it all. I can't re-preach it, so I'm just going to leave that on you uh, to pick it up. Big thing was this, that God is hugely interested in your inner life. He is hugely interested on what is happening inside of you, Okay. And the reason why he's hugely interested is because what's happening in here affects not only your life, but it affects your eternity, okay? And so as part of that, while he's working there, there are also enemies that are working against us. And and what we called them were the trolls, right? Like they were trolling us, just like you get on the internet and there's trolls on the internet, that's what they call them. In the same way, there are trolls that are trolling your thought life, okay? And as part of that, there are three of them. And so I'm going to really quick recap. I'm going as fast as I can. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We said that there are three trolls trying to hack your inner life. They are the flesh, Satan, and the world. So what we're going to do over this series is we're going to just focus on each of those. We're going to zero in on each of those, and we're going to see what Scripture has to say, what weapons he gives us uh, in order to overcome those enemies, those things that are trying to keep you from what God has for you. So that's the gist of it. Um, and, and the thing is, most of the time we think that inner life, what's going on inside, it's hard to, to lay hold of those things. We think that it's all just kind of wishy-washy and, and, and it's hard to uh, focus in. And yet it's not magical, it's not mystical, it's just a matter of focus, right? So that's why we called the series Hocus Focus, Hocus Focus. So this week we're going to start with the first of those trolls, which is the flesh Last week, I called it, and again, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the message, otherwise it won't make much sense. Last week, I called it the Cheeto-fingered basement troll. The Cheeto-fingered basement troll. And if you're wondering what the singular of Cheetos is, that is it. I looked it up on several very reputable websites. Cheeto-fingered basement troll, what I called... The flesh. And I have to explain why I called it that, like give you a little context. Um, I think that Cheetos are the most base of junk food snacks. I'm convinced of it. And that is saying something because Funyuns, okay? <laughs> but there's something about Cheetos that are just to me like When I think of the worst of the worst junk food snacks, I think of Cheetos. I think there's something to the fact that there's really, we don't know what's in them, right? 
Like I was looking at the back of a Cheetos bag, and I won't tell you why I had a Cheetos bag that I was looking at the back of for the ingredients, and I'm pretty sure that every single one of those words are made up, right? Like that's not real stuff. That, that is not a thing. And, and yet somehow out of those things, they conjure these snacks. And then once they have them, they coat them with this cheese-like powdery substance, Right? And actually, the first ingredient on a Cheetos, uh, just so you know, is, is cheese seasoning. And then they have, like, a, in quotation marks, what that actually is, or in parentheses, what it actually is. And so um, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a Cheeto. And, and when I think of Cheetos, it's the kind of snack that when you reach into the bag, you know you do not come back unscathed. Do you know what I'm saying? They're the kind of snack that when you eat them, like that whole clean hand, pure heart thing, that's not happening with a bag of Cheetos, right? Like they leave a residue and your hands are dirty after having eaten the Cheetos. And I have never once, never once seen somebody eat Cheetos and then politely dab their fingers off with a napkin. <laughs> that's not how you clean your fingers after you eat Cheetos. You have to stick them in your mouth. And you know it's coming at some point when someone cracks open a bag of Cheetos. You know those fingers are going to go in that mouth, and that's disgusting. And if they do it too soon, the next time they go back in, it's just going to be worse. Like, there's powder everywhere. And if you're doing anything else, like if you're reading your Bible and eating Cheetos, your Bible ends up orange afterwards. So that's why we said they were Cheeto-fingered. Like, it's the most base of junk food snacks. The kind of snack that doesn't leave you unscathed, that you have leftover residue on your hands. And yet, oh boy, they're good. And I know they're terrible, but I also want them a lot. And that's why it's so perfect. As I'm thinking about what the flesh is, it's Cheeto-fingered. And then I think basement, because this week, Asher, actually last week, I should say, Asher came to me and he goes, Daddy, I left my ginkies downstairs. And I said, okay. And he goes, could you go get them for me? And I said, being the kind and compassionate father that I am, I said, no, Asher, you can go get your own ginky, or you could grow up and not have a ginky anymore. He didn't care for that. Anyway, so, but... <laughs> I go, why don't you just go downstairs and get the ginkies yourself? He goes, because I'm afraid of the basement. And as soon as he said that, I remembered my own experience as a child. I remember my parents' basement. And our basement, like, it wasn't finished. It had concrete floor and concrete wall. And there was just stuff down there. And the worst part was the light switch for the basement was at the bottom of the stairs. So every time you're going down the stairs, you are walking into darkness. And even worse, when you're coming back up. And you know you got to flip that light switch off. And you summon all the courage you've got. You take those first three steps with such confidence. And then the fourth and the fifth stair a little bit quicker. 
and then the sixth and the seventh stair, you're like going a little bit quicker. And by the time you're at the top of the stairs, you are full on booking it up the stairs. That's the way it is with basements. And I'm like, my basement is different than my parents' basement. Like it's finished and my office is down there. Liz's office is down there. Guest bedroom. It's got carpet. There's no bare concrete anywhere. There's, there's, it's like a walkout basement. And it, with the basement, I, like they had like little windows. And you'd look up and you'd like... I don't know if I'm going to make it out alive. But ours, there's plenty of like sunlight beating in. And we have three light switches at the bottom of the stairs and three light switches at the top of the stairs. There's no reason for him to be afraid of our basement. And yet, I think there is this inherent recognition of the fact that the evil is not just out there. That the evil is inside as well. So I think that there's this inherent fear of basements. When I read through the scriptures, what I see is that there is an enemy inside. James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. Um, does anybody have that person who is painful to be around? Does anybody have that person that just knows exactly how to push your buttons? And you hate being around them because no matter how prepared you are, it's like as soon as you get in their presence, they push your buttons and you're just mad. Hopefully none of you are thinking of your spouse right now. (laughs) Just saying. But like, for whatever reason, they just, the worst in them, like, you're just so obvious and it makes you so mad and you just can't overcome that. You know what this verse says? The problem is not them. The problem is in you. That it is the war that is going on inside of you. And when they're pushing your buttons, that's on you. You've got buttons. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like if you didn't have buttons, they couldn't push the buttons. And the vast majority of the time we want to externalize it. Oh man, that person. No, it's not. that. Most likely they have the same things going on inside of them that you have going on inside of you. And what's happening is you're seeing the speck in their own eye. And the reason why it's making you mad is you got a log in your own eye. So what's going on is the battle that's happening inside of you is making you mad at them. The problem isn't them. The problem is... You. Now, that's not to say there are not some people that are just caustic and negative and you don't want to be around them. That's cool. There are some people I don't want to be around. But if they get a reaction out of me, that's not their problem. That's my problem. The problem is internal. What's causing those fights? What's causing those quarrels? It is the battle that is happening inside of you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 takes it even further and says, um, Beloved... I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Okay, there is something inside of you, 
according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, that is waging war against your own soul. And again, we want to externalize it. Like we want to say the problem's out there, it's not inside here. When I was a senior in high school, last semester, I'm like a month from graduating. That year was the shooting in Columbine in Colorado, and I, there are certain things that mark us, you know, certain events that you, you remember, right? It's just there. And, and for some of you, like, that's JFK's assassination. You know exactly where you were, or O.J. Simpson's um, acquittal. You know exactly where you were, and you remember all of those things, and kind of surrounding it. And for me, part of that is this Columbine shooting, and I remember it, and I remember certain things about it, I should say. There's certain things that are just etched into my memory, and then there are certain things that are not, right? So I remember that this was the final semester of my school, uh, a senior in high school, and I'm like a month from graduating, and we were having a discussion in one of our classes after the fact. And the question was pr- uh, just put forward by the teacher, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody do this? And there were all kinds of answers, and I don't even remember what class it was. I don't remember who the teacher was. I don't remember most of the answers, but I remember one of them. It was given by a girl who was one seat in front of me and one seat to the right, right there. And I remember she was really pretty. Um, I don't remember. I think her name was Hannah, but I'm not entirely sure. But I remember she was pretty. These are the things that make an impression on a senior in high school. But she gave her response to it, and I remember this response. She said, oh, there, there must have been something broken in them. They, they must have been insane. And I remember thinking, not saying thinking, because I wasn't going to say it, because again, I've got one month left, and I'm just doing everything I can inside of me not to rip my pants open and forever be remembered as that guy, right? So I just want to make it out anonymously. So I didn't say anything, but I remember this deep impression in my brain of three words. And I remember high school. I remember what my response should have been with all the hormones and all the social pressures, like pretty girl says something. I should climb up on my desk and say, bravo, genius yet again. Oh, captain, my captain. Like that's what I should have been doing with all of this stuff. But I remember these three words just so deeply impressed on my brain and I had no framework on which to base it. I was not a believer, but I remember thinking that's too easy. That's too easy. That's what I want to believe. I want to, with everything inside of me, believe that that person just must be broken. That that person must just be insane. Because if it's a problem with them, if it's something external, then I'm not capable of the same kind of evil, and I'm not culpable for that evil. But what I see in Scripture is that I am capable of that kind of evil, and I am culpable for that kind of evil. When I read all through the New Testament, in every single book in the New Testament, bar two, like there were two, I read every verse that I could find about flesh in the New Testament, and there were only two books that did not have a section dedicated to it. But when I read about it, I see, see that there is something inside of me 
Sometimes it's called the sinful flesh. Sometimes it's called the sinful nature. Sometimes it's just called sin, right? But that this is inside of me, and it's waging war against my own soul. And we want to externalize it. And I think we give Satan a little too much credit sometimes, right? Because if it's Satan, then it's out there. Okay, let me read you a verse. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, that's a lurid verse. Like, I feel like a little dirty just reading that. You got tempted and lured and enticed and desire and conceived. And then it's growing and turning into sin and death. Do you know what I don't see in that verse? Anywhere? Satan. Where is he? He's not there. Why? Because this is all happening inside of me. There is something inside of me. And and this is, I'm just laying some groundwork here, which is vital groundwork. And I'm just going to give you one statement in a moment. That this is vital groundwork before we get to the good stuff, okay? The one statement I want to make is this. We all have this flesh inside of us. Own the flesh, but do not be owned by it. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Own the flesh, but do not be owned by it. All through the New Testament, you find passages, just like James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. All through the New Testament, you find passages like Galatians 6, 8 or Romans 8, 6. And they say over and over and over again that the flesh is inside of us and it is craving and seeking and warring for three things. Your death, your destruction, and your corruption. The death of your relationships, the destruction of your faith, and the corruption of those good gifts that God gives you. This is what scripture tells me. And it is active. It's not passive. It's at work. What what part of waging war sounds passive? It's not something that's passive in the background. You kind of feel it every now and then. It is actively every day at work within us. Okay? But let's take it a step further. What that means to me is this. That every time, and this is something I do every time when I hear of some unspeakable evil that's done in our world. and, 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 And it's like, are you kidding me? How could somebody do that? How could somebody go into a kindergarten and shoot kindergartners? Or how could somebody sacrifice a child for religious purposes? You hear these things and it gets worse and worse. And and, and every time I try to come to the same point when I hear those things, I start by repenting. Because the same evil that is in that person is in me. The same desire for destruction is in me. The same corruption that I see in them is in me. The first reaction should always be repentance. Because that's also in me. Okay? But that means you own the flesh. It's not external. It's in me. But don't be owned by it. What I mean by that is, regularly, I'll have some stray evil thought. 
that pops up. And what could happen in that moment is I could stop and go, oh my goodness, what an evil thought. I can't believe, I am a terrible person. And in fact, the enemy uses that. Like, you have an evil thought, and he's like, I can't believe you just thought that. That's terrible of you. Right? But I see in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse finds itself right in the middle of a huge passage. Guess what it's about? The flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means I own it. I repent for it, recognizing it's inside of me. But recognize it is something that is trolling my thoughts. And I will not be owned by that thought. You cannot condemn me for it. Why? Because of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So that's what I mean by it. Own it, but do not be owned by it. Okay, this is just building a foundation before we get to the good stuff. Because we haven't gotten to the weapons that God has given us to overcome this thing. And we're about to. But I really need you, before we get any further, to recognize hashtag the struggle is real. There is something that is actively warring against you within your own soul, okay? And it is warring in order to bring destruction and corruption and death within you to every relationship, to every good gift that God gives you, to even your own faith with him. There is something inside of you that is working against you. And here's the thing. You do not just overcome it by saying, do better. That's what Galatians is about. The great passage in Galatians chapter 5. We'll get there. We're going to be there in a moment. And Romans chapter 8 says the exact same thing. You don't just get over it or do better. That's not the whole point. God gives us weapons to overcome these things. So first thing I want to do is I want to go see the first weapon. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse 5. We could read the whole thing. At some point, I encourage you to read all of Romans chapter 7 and 8. Great passage of scripture about the flesh. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 5 is where we're going to start. Here's what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit... Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, you know what I see throughout that passage? Four times. Set their mind. Set the mind. What do I see? What I talked about last week. God has given us. CEO function over our own inner life. We have executive function. We decide what is going to happen inside of us. Here's the first weapon God gave us. God gave us a will. He gave us the ability to set our mind on this or to set our mind on that. And it is up to us to determine. Because very clearly, I see there, you've got the work of the flesh, and that leads to death. You've got the work of the spirit, which leads to life and peace. And we decide what's happening there. No one else gets to decide for us. We decide. Okay? God gave us a will. And like any of the gifts that God gives us, we can decide how we're going to use it. 
And like any of the gifts that God gives us, we can determine like how strong we're going to be in that gift too. I was reading an interesting book. It's not a Christian, but an excellent book nonetheless. You have to take a few things with a grain of salt. It's really interesting how um, it comes back around. It always comes back around to what the scripture says. And this book is called Willpower, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength. It's a really interesting book. And it tells, uh, the goal is to really communicate how do we study and communicate how do we strengthen our ability to make a decision and then stick with it. Right? How do we strengthen our willpower? Okay. It's an interesting book because of the fact that um, there are apparently some little things that you can do to strengthen your will. Like you can determine, one of the things you can do to strengthen is to determine you're going to sit up straight. And then to just start sitting up straight. Apparently that actually strengthens your willpower. Okay, it, As you walk up to doors, uh, and if you're right-handed, instead of reaching forward with the hand that you're natural with, if you reach forward with your other one instead, that it actually will strengthen your willpower. There's studies after studies that say this. The big thing that they do in this book is they study one guy in particular named David Blaine. And I don't know how many of you know David Blaine, but David Blaine is a, is a um, what started as a street magician, you know, doing card tricks on the street. And then he became an endurance artist, uh, which just means he put himself in terrible situations that he wanted to get out of the entire time, but just willed his way through it. And so, for example, he decided that he was going to, he built or had a tower made in New York City where it was 100 foot tall, 22 inch platform at the top. And he climbed up on the top of it and he stood there for 35 hours straight. With the wind trying to blow him off, he just stood there 35 hours straight. He just remained. Anytime he could quit, he wanted, if he wanted to quit. He, uh, for a little while at least, held the record for the longest time holding his breath underwater, you know. Um, he, he decided, <laughs> um, this is what he did, uh, he decided to freeze himself in a block of ice in, in, um, uh, right in the middle of uh, Times Square in New York. 63 hours he remained in this block of ice. And he like slowed down and, and, and like really focused on keeping, like doing the things with his organs and stuff that he can take his steps. And he stayed in it. From the moment he started, he started shivering. And then the thing he hadn't counted on was as he was inside this ice, that the ice right around him started melting, so there were these drips on his back. He said it was Chinese water torture for 63 hours on his back. And at any point, he can walk away, but he held out for 63 hours. He um, fasted for 44 days while in a plexiglass box hanging over the Thames River in in London, okay? And he just drank water. They gave him water, but that was it. And he was just in this box, had nothing else to do. And he said that while he was in this box, there was this sign outside that was for some advertisement, and it said, is your willpower not enough? And he was like, the entire time, he had to look at this thing. People started flying, this is before drones, started flying like remote control helicopters up to him with hamburgers hanging beneath them just to make him want it and, and desire it and not be able to have it. And he held out for 44 days. And you know what this book says is the biggest way you can build your, your willpower? Biggest way. Is to make a decision... Speak it out, and then no matter what comes, you stick with it. Like, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Right? So, so when you're making a decision, don't just let it be a brain decision. 
but let it make its way to your mouth, and then the moment you say it's going to happen, that you follow through with it. This is a gift God has given us, our will. And I'm so thankful for this gift. But this gift, this weapon, pales in comparison to the second weapon he gives us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what I love about this verse, I mean, passage here, the first thing that jumps out at me is that it says that these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You ever had that happen? Where you're like, why am I doing this right now? Why am I saying this? Like, why am I treating this person this way? Why am I angry at the person who is most important to me? Why do I say the things I do to the people that I'm closest to? Well, the answer is this, that there is a flesh that is inside of you that is warring against your soul and seeking the destruction of your relationships. Okay? So that's why when you ever ask and go, why did I just do that? That was totally destructive behavior. Yeah, absolutely. It was the flesh inside of you. Okay? So that's why we don't do the things that we want to do. And that's what Romans chapter 7 is all about. There is something inside of you. That's the first thing I notice. The second thing I notice is this incredible promise. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful or of the flesh. So, I used to think when I read this passage that this was saying to us, walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. But it's very clearly not. It's actually a promise. It's a promise. And the promise is this, that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And when when, when you look in the Scripture, a lot of times you'll see the word Spirit, and sometimes it refers to the inner man, That's what they call the inner man, sometimes the spirit inside of you. Sometimes it's talking about the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. A lot of times, though, it's just talking about the Holy Spirit, and that is very clearly what's happening here. And the second weapon that God has given us, which is so much more effective than even the first weapon, is God has given us the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the reason why it's more powerful and more effective at defeating this troll inside of us is because of the fact that even our will is corrupted by the flesh, right? But the Holy Spirit cannot be. And what an incredible promise that is. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing. Remember that? Like we're looking at the things we don't want to do instead of looking at the things we do want to do. 
Right? We focus on what we don't want to actually think instead of focusing on the things that we should be focused on. And this says you focus on the Holy Spirit. You start every single morning by declaring your dependence on the Holy Spirit. You say, Holy Spirit, I need you today, and I'm going to be lost without you. And then it's not like you just do that one time, because that would be taking a step with the Spirit. Right? But it doesn't say take a step with the Spirit. It says walk by the Spirit, which is more than just one step. It's a pretty lame walk if it's one step. But it says take a step with the Spirit and then take another step with the Spirit. And all through the day, you are seeking Him. You are repenting to Him. You are asking Him, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? And some of us, like when we, when we hear scriptures like this, we're like, well, I'm not baptizing the Holy Spirit. This is not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that is inside every single one of us from the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if you want to talk about that sometime, I'll talk to you about that. But I'm telling you, this is for each and every one of us. And every single day, we can walk by the Spirit. And if we do that, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the promise that I see in this verse. Keep reading. And then it gives us the rotten fruit of the flesh. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you've got these works of the flesh. And a lot of times we're like, well, (laughs) I haven't done any sorcery this week. (laughs) I'm not dealing with that flesh thing that that pastor's talking about. Sorcery. What is sorcery? Sorcery is the attempt with words, gyrations, to control the divine, right? To get him to do what we want to do because we've done certain things in order to make it happen. What is idolatry? It's putting anything above God. It is trying to make God in our own image, right? And so we read through this list and we're like, okay, that doesn't apply to me. Look at even the list. So you've got two, the first two, which are sexual in nature. Sexual immorality. uh, Three, I should say, impurity and sensuality. Those are sexual in nature. Then you've got the next two, which are religious in nature, idolatry and sorcery. And then you've got a bunch of them that are social in nature. Enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and then envy. And then you've got your drinking sins. You've got your drunkenness and you've got your orgies. Okay, so... How many of those are for drinking sins? And how many of those are relational sins? Why do you think the vast majority of them are about your relationships with other people? That is really interesting. Because the works of the flesh are not just the big things that you think, oh, that's not me. It's all of the stuff that every single day we deal with in our relationships with other people. When you deal with that anger at that person, I'm telling you that is from your flesh. Guaranteed. These are the fruits, the rotten fruits of the flesh. And and you might be like, 
but I feel angry. I want to be angry. I need to listen to my feelings. We need to talk to ourselves a whole lot more than we need to listen to ourselves. See, some of us have the same sounds, the same track, the same tape. Some of you are still on an eight track. <laughs> same old whiny voices running in your brain. And you're like, but that's the way I feel. Shut up. Don't listen to that. Talk to it instead. No, I will not feel that way. Instead, I'm going to feel this way. Thank you very much. We need to talk to ourselves a whole lot more than we need to listen to ourselves. So that's the works of the flesh. Next we have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, how many of you guys got those memorized because of a song? Those are good. How come we never sing any songs about the fruit of the sinful nature? <laughs> Sexual immorality. <laughs> it would have to be in a minor key. <laughs> they are not doing that in the back right now, okay? But you got the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I'm going to throw something out there. And, and some of you might disagree. That's okay, I've got the microphone. <laughs> we need to listen to the Spirit a whole lot more than we talk to the Spirit. And I'm not saying it's 100-0. I'm saying maybe 60-40 or 70-30, but it's, there should be more listening than there is talking. Because what I see here is if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do you keep in step with something? Well, you watch and you pay attention. And when he's stepping, you're stepping. And when he's stopping, you're stopping. And then when he steps again, you step again. Like you're keeping track with him. But you cannot do that if you're talking the whole time. So I think we need to listen to the Spirit a whole lot more than we're talking to the Spirit. And now the question I hope is going in your brain, at least it should be, and it should be, and if it's not, I'm doing something wrong. Okay? Well, how do I know the difference between the flesh and the Spirit? Well, did you just see the filter that we got? Like, run it through that filter. What's the end result of it? Is this going to build up your relationship? Is it going to build peace in your relationship? Because if it's going to destroy your relationship with that person, I guarantee you that's not a fruit of the Spirit. Take it and throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. And if it sticks, then maybe that's from that Cheeto-fingered troll. And don't you dare listen to that. You speak to it. But boy... If you run it through the filter and that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then, oh, you better listen. 
Okay? Keep reading this, and it says there then, verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Boy, that sure sounds to me like the flesh is dead. Right? And if there's a war going on, this is not like a World War I war where it's all about trench warfare. If it's trench warfare inside of your spirit, inside of what's going on inside of you, you got a bigger problem. This is not trench warfare like one side's entrenched and the other side's entrenched and one makes a little advance. That's not it at all. What I see is that the back of the enemy has been broken. Now it's asymmetrical warfare where you're going along and you already won the battle, but every now and then there's a roadside bomb. Every now and then, right out of nowhere, the enemy hits you with something and your thoughts go sideways on you. That's the kind of war that we're talking about. It is not like one side pushes, the other side pushes, the other side pushes. If you've got that going on, you have not yet submitted your knee before Jesus Christ. So what I see here is that the flesh is crucified. And yet, the flesh is with me. So that means i got a dead body. And it's decomposing. And yet I'm carrying it along with me. And I'm letting that dead body speak into my life. And in my own life, the way that I've cried out to God, and let me be clear, I want to just really zero in. This was one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to write. It was a struggle. It took me twice as long as normal. And you want to know why? Because I had this voice running in my brain. I am not making any traction. I cannot give them anything of value here. What am I going to give? And I prayed and I prayed and I'm like, why can't I make traction? And then I realized where that thought was coming from. Oh, I'm not making traction, huh? Same whiny tape over and over. And I went, ah, I see you. I'm shifting a little bit to the left. Thank you very much. You can't get me now. And everything broke open. So in my own life, I'm like, God, what? I thought you said the old is gone and the new has come. I thought my my flesh is crucified. What in the world? Why am I still dealing with this stuff? Why is it if the enemy's back has been broken that it's still there with me? Why is it that the flesh will be with me the entire time this side of heaven? Why is it that I'm not free of this? And I believe God took me to the story of Jacob. I'm wrestling with God, and he says, you remember when I was wrestling with Jacob, and I touched his hip? For the rest of his life, he limped. For the rest of his life, he had weakness in the flesh. You know what happened? He relied all the more on me. And every time I see a man with a cane, I think of that. Because there's weakness in the flesh. But boy, he got something else to rely on. And what I see in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is that for me. 
And the more I recognize my own weakness and my own failings, the more I rely on him. We ask ourselves, how do you get the air out of a glass? And we're like, that's not how you get the air out of a glass. You pour water in the glass and the air is gone. See, some of us are just focused on getting rid of the flesh, of overcoming the flesh. And that's not the goal. The goal is to grow in and to be led by and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And he'll take care of the flesh. See, some of us are just hanging on. When I was younger, we had a two-story house. And our bedroom was on the second floor of this house. And one day I was walking down the hallway and I hear this like whimpering sound coming from my bedroom. And so I'm like walking by and I'm like, what in the world is that? And I'm like 12 years old at this point. So I walk into my bedroom and I look around and there's nobody in there. And I have two brothers, have two brothers. The story ends well. (laughs) I have two brothers. And we all were in the room together and we stayed in the room together. That's where our beds were. And uh, I'm in the room and I'm looking around. There's nobody there. But I hear the whimpering again. And I look over and the window's open. And the whimpering's coming from right outside the window. So I like walk over to the window and I hear it again. And I look out and there is my little brother, nine years old, hanging from the window. I'm like, how in the world did you get there? Like, what was the process of thought to get from inside the window to outside the window? But he's just hanging on. And like, I can tell he's just hanging on. His knuckles are turning white. Like, he's just on down to his very last knuckle. And he looks up at me and he goes, help. And let me tell you what I did not do. I did not look down at my brother and reprimand him. Hey, brother, uh, that was not a good move. I didn't, like, smack him on the knuckles. Say, don't do that again. You know what I did? I reached down and I grabbed his arm. And I yelled for my sister because I was not strong enough. My sister comes running in. And the two of us together pulled him in. See, some of us are approaching it the wrong way. We're just like white-knuckling it. We're holding on for all we're worth. But then with one hand we're holding on, the other one we've got a ruler, and we're smacking ourselves on the knuckle saying, I'm not getting better. What I see in Scripture is so much better than that. The promise that I see is that every day if I focus on the Holy Spirit and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You are not an inspirational cat poster. There is something so much better for you. And yes, the flesh will be with you all this side of heaven. It will. I'm sorry. But may it increase your dependence upon God. And may the Holy Spirit more and more be your crutch. May you lean on him day after day. It's not magic, it's focus. God gave you this weapon. He gave this to you that you might focus on him and zero in on him and be led by him. So when you have a thought, 
you run it through that filter. Does that have cheese powder on it? Oh, no. Boy, that looks like a fruit of the Spirit. I'm going with that one. It's not hocus, it's focus. It's not just magic and hope it gets better. It's focus on the Spirit every single day of your life and see what He does. And can I just end with a promise? A promise. This is my promise to you. Jacob's not limping no more. He is dancing. And that weakness that you deal with every single day, you will be delivered in the presence of God. And all that he has developed inside of you, that, that weight of glory that's going on on the inside, all of that that comes from constantly having this weakness in the flesh and relying on the Holy Spirit, that will be with you for eternity. Jacob's not limping no more. Be encouraged. Would you stand with me today? I just want to speak to you really quick because I really do believe that there are some people in here who've just been white-knuckling it, who've just been holding on for dear life. And can I say to you, all you need to do is look up and squeak out with anything you've got left. Help! Rely on the Holy Spirit. Look to Him. Focus on Him. Set your mind on Him. Why do you think all through the New Testament when the flesh comes up, so does the Holy Spirit? Because this is the weapon that God has given you to overcome this enemy. And if you're in here, and boy, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The reason why we have to deal with this is that we are fallen beings. This is in us as a result of the fall of mankind. And each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the promise is this, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we can be delivered. And the old can be gone, the new can come, I can be crucified with Christ and yet live. That is the promise to us. And if you're in here and you've never done that, do that today. And even as I begin to pray, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I encourage you to take that opportunity. Father, we come to you right now. And we come as those people who, Lord, have weakness in our flesh. Well, God, we recognize that daily there is a battle going on inside of us. Daily there is an asymmetrical war happening in our souls. Daily the flesh is coming at us. And yet you did not leave us unequipped. Oh, God, you gave us weapons to overcome. And God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power that as we focus in on him, that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Father, we thank you that you have delivered us.
and you have crucified the flesh and that you have done those things in us and all we need to do is accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the moment that happens, the Spirit works inside of us and brings us alive, raises us from the dead. And so today, right now, if there are any in this room who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I confess right now, and I I hope they do too, that you are Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the death. And oh God, as we do that, then we know the old is gone, the new has come. We thank you for that and we praise you for that. Father, I pray for anybody in here who's been white knuckling it. Just holding on. And they need your spirit to lead them day to day. They need your spirit to guide them this week. To every day walk by your spirit. To every day keep in step with your spirit. Father, move in their lives right now by your spirit. Call them and speak to them and help them to see their own thoughts and run them through that filter. God, may we rebuke the enemy and grow in the spirit. We thank you for it. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you're in here and you need prayer for anything while others are getting ready to head out the door today, I'm going to encourage you, instead of heading out the door, would you just step out and come down to the front? And This prayer team has committed themselves not just to pray for you today, but to pray for you all week long. If you need prayer for anything, instead of heading out, maybe head down. If you accepted Jesus Christ, for the very first time, you can confess that he was Lord of your life. Today, instead of heading out, would you just come down to the front, allow them to pray with you and talk to you about those next steps. May this week you be led by the Spirit and have opportunity to set your mind on the Spirit. And may you each recognize in your life when the voice of the flesh tries to get you to do something that will lead to your own destruction. God bless you as you go. Jesus isn't, or Jacob isn't limping no more. God bless you. Have a great week.